0: Hey guys, this is the Joey Diaz Podcast Remastered. Uh, the audio levels were horrible when we did it. Uh, that's because a program named Levelator was, uh, didn't have an update, but now they do. I do Not know if that you needed to know that, but now all levels will always be great, I promise. Just like they used to be. So uh, if you started listening to that one, you're like, Fuck, I can't hear them. I'm not, I just can't even do it. Well, it's back. And if you just listened to this one and you haven't listened to the one before that, uh, check out the one I did last week. Or the other day, actually, with Jonathan Steinberg, he is the creator, co-creator of Black Sales, my favorite show on Stars. So, uh, and that is this Saturday night. Uh, so, you guys on the East Coast who are stuck in a snowstorm and can't go out, tune into Stars Saturday night and check out the season three premiere of Black Sales, and go watch all of them before you watch that one. It's a great show, and he's a cool dude, and I really appreciate him reaching out and let me do that. It's tour dates: uh, I'm in. Uh, La- Livingston. I'm in like Cincinnati, the new club in Cincinnati and the funny bone. I don't know where the name of the fucking city is, but it's just outside Cincinnati in between Dayton and Cincinnati. I'm there, uh, next weekend. I'm in Virginia, Richmond, uh, Richmond. The week after that, I have a call in sick to work show. Spoiler alert, East coast. I have a call in sick to work show. I'll be announcing next Tuesday morning on radio. So that's it. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, check out my vlog on my YouTube channel. And this is uh, once again, just a re-release of the Joey Diaz podcast remastered.
1: This is who for A Hollywood Reporter. That oh, really? Me on to those offices, and it was her father's office for years, and then she turned it into a podcast. Gray Drake. Gray Drake. Gray Drake had a movie podcast for a while that was really good. The only problem was she made you go see the movie before you went to talk about it, and it sucked. Oh. I spent 52 fucking dollars one year at the Lemley. Not the Lemley, the other one on Sunset. The Dome, you know how it's 12? Oh, Arclight. Arclight. You can yeah. drop a half a yard in there going to see a fucking movie. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I went out with a $100 bill. I came home with 38 Okay, I ain't cheap. Yeah. But what did I do? I bought two hot dogs, two tickets, and two sodas. Yeah. 60 bucks at the arc light. That's reality unless you you're a member. Oh, it's fucking expensive it's as expensive shit. It's expensive as shit. What did you have you seen Star Wars yet? I wouldn't go see Star Wars if you paid me. Really? I'm not into that shit. <laughs> Because when I came over from Cuba, that fucking... I I don't like Martians. I don't like space. (laughs) I don't like fucking robots. I don't like none of that shit, and I've never liked it ever, ever, ever. I'd watch TV from 6 in the morning to 6 at night. You know why I stopped at 6? Because Star Trek came on. (laughs) Once that fucking creepy music came on, I turned that shit off. That's creepy shit. Green people and all that shit. That's your... That's You know, for me, it was always like... I'm Cuban. I'm a Cuban kid. I'm just trying to TV to learn English. What's Martians got to do with it? Yeah. Like I was like, I'm not playing this fucking game. I just, <laughs> you, can't, you can't just slide that into life. Where's my phaser? <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. There was never any. Uh, there was never any fucking uh, you know spaceships in my life. I just didn't like it. I yeah. don't know why. Some people. Some know.
0: people. It's, it's funny. Some people do disappear. Like like uh, the comic book type person. <laughs> That happens, and then they all their worries just disappear. Like, they serotonin out, and they're like, oh, they get immersed in it. Like, I, our friend was like, oh, no, 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 I'm going Thursday, the day it opens, to see Star Star Wars. And I was like, oh, I'm not that guy. Like, lines and groups, and that fucking drives me nuts.
1: Did I ever tell you I was a comic book guy? No. Listen, when I was about, when I got out of, when I got thrown out of Catholic school, I was forced to hang out in my neighborhood. And I hung out with these guys, Ray Canella, who worked for Sci-Fi TV for a long time. Today, Ray canella owns uh, a horror thing on YouTube. Dear friend of mine, we were in a band in the sixth grade. We sang Help, the album Help, but me, Ray, Ray's a nerdy guy. You know, yeah. he liked horror. And about six of us were just into comic books. So I got into the Fantastic Four and and uh, the Silver Surfer and all that shit. But... We had two options. We could go into the city when I was a kid, like 11. Like, we'd say, fuck it, don't tell your parents. Tell them we're going to something. And we'd go into New York City and go to a comic book place. But there was a guy named De Palma, and he had a comic book place behind a police station in North Bergen. He was like a 30-year-old nerd that lived with his mother, and he had invested over the years, and he had everything. Superman won. And we would basically go there and rob him. Like, you know, like... (laughs)
0: I love about you is your stories go from so sweet and heartfelt and i'm showing oh, you a small
1: part of he, Joey was, he was such a nerd <laughs> he, he was such a nerd and we were such nerds but he was such a nerd that me and my nerdy friends were like we gotta rob this guy because he's too much of a fucking nerd so we wouldn't break into the store. We'd go and sit with him and argue about, you know, magazines. And then when he'd turn around, we'd put fucking, like, Spider-Man 8 in our pockets or yeah. something. And then we'd take it into the city and sell fucking the Spider-Man. And buy all- <laughs> it was crazy. And then, listen, we were 13, a bunch of us. There was a van that parked on our block for, like, a week. And, you know, to some people, they're like, all right, a van parked on your block to us. Like, the kids I hung out with, it's like, that, that's something not right. And yeah. we, looked at, we looked in the fucking van. <laughs> <laughs> <them> fucking- <laughs> we were in the seventh grade. We looked in the fucking van, and at that time, you know, you guys that listen to this, you're a little younger, but you could make T-shirts at home. You had a press. It was a hot press. Yeah. And all you had to do was put your T-shirt down. It, it was like the thing would heat. You could iron. Be, right. you used to do it with, with iron. With iron, right. Iron your own This was own just shirt. a big iron. You could buy the fucking thing the t- at yeah, the store. At the store. And you could make your own fucking, I remember that. So he had one in the van, and he had boxes of T-shirts, and he had comic books. Once we saw the comic books, we put our heads together. We had to bust into that fucking van. Oh, we didn't know how to fuck to bust into that van. You know, there was no internet then. You know, we went to the, we took the the model from the van and we went to the Ford dealer we all took our bikes to the Ford dealer <laughs> and we told the guy my grandfather lost the keys to his van what do we need to do and and finally as we're walking one of the guys goes just bust the window the side window has that hinged for air it doesn't yeah. go down or up he goes put a thing in and pop it and it will yeah. pop up and that's what we did that night we waited till like nine o'clock we popped it none of us had the balls to actually get in the car and drive it so we just emptied the van out I mean how old we took- were you at this time 11, 12, 12. Holy shit, that's George's age. So we all ran to our houses with presses and t shirts and, and the f- uh, vinyls that you put on it. Like it was like just bands. Yeah. And like, you know, have a nice DJ. Remember that? Have a nice J. <laughs> and there was a joint on the bottom, you know, shit yeah. like that. And we took them into the city on Sunday and we fucking sold them to some t shirt guys. I mean, we were just little. You know, I look at what I do now in my day and it's because of. The way I was raised, those little fucking kids like i I grew up with two kids, Irish kids are hardworking motherfuckers, man, yeah, when I was a kid, those little Irish kids, the O'Neills and shit that were we used to rob train tracks and and if there was nothing to rob, we still went to the swamps and picked skunks, those uh things that you break, and people like to, to keep the mosquitoes away. Yeah. I don't know what they're called right now. I, Are they like the cattails? Yeah, like a cattail. And we yeah. would do those and knock on people's doors and go, hey, man, it's summertime. You want to buy some cattails? How much? Three, for a dollar. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, man. These kids were, it, it's weird that you don't see children. You know, they took something away from this country. We, we all think we're slick. Oh, well, I don't get the paper no more. You took away, what, a thousand kids learn how to make a dough with. Yeah. And a newspaper wrap. You know, you took away the newspaper route from kids, which till this day has me all fucked up. Did you watch uh, Concussion? Yeah, I was in it. With Will Smith, there's a part in there where they discuss how, you know, in Pittsburgh they closed schools down. They took away school programs, like after music programs, just to build that fucking Pittsburgh Hind Stadium. Are you, you know, serious? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, that's what it takes. It cost $230 billion to build Pittsburgh Stadium. And it had to come from somewhere. So it had to come from somewhere, so they closed all these things. And, you know, you look at our children, They don't you, saw, you don't see them on the streets. Well, the thing you don't see anymore is a kid delivering newspapers. Let me tell you something. I always wanted to deliver newspapers until I got the route. And they threw a curveball at me because I wanted a route in my neighborhood. But they gave me a route on 46th Street Hill, which is the worst hill ever. And I got it in December. The kid quit in December, so I took the kid's route. That means after school, the, the papers are waiting for you on your corner. You got to bring them to your house, slice them, put them together, break them up, put them in rubber bands, oh, carry them in your bicycle or your bag, and go over there. That was a great job. And then you got to knock on the people's door and get your money. Yeah. Which is a motherfucker. It teaches you so fucking much. Wow, they've taken that whole game away from children in this country. Children don't know. It was like every two blocks a kid was delivering papers. But If you made 20 bucks, it took you an hour after school, and you made 20 on the clock, and you probably made 30 on tips, Yeah, you were making 200 a month when you were fucking 10 or 11 it delivering this. papers. To,
0: it taught you how to... I, the, one of the things... That I, I heard Bill Burr on, a, um, on something say that... On a thing, talking talk about his paper route. And it's so funny it teaches you how to be an entrepreneur and how to kind of like say <laughs> go up to a man and say i yeah, you owe me five dollars for my paper this the for the paper this week and it the same thing with mowing lawns. Our thing was mowing lawns i wanna say i want to say we did it for like a dollar a lawn i mean nothing we was i want i really want to say we did it for a dime like a dime an hour like but me but you'd go over with your lawn mower and you'd be like hey i I'll mow your lawn for you this guy would go oh, okay and it was like it was like learning how to pitch yourself, learning how to sell yourself, and and then
1: doing something and taking a tad bit of pride in it. That's Let's why see. these kids got ADD, because they don't deliver fucking papers, they don't know how to talk to people. No. They're nervous. I think ADD all got, I mean, something, because I had ADD, I was half retarded when I was a kid, but I knocked on people's doors, I got my paper, I delivered the papers on time, I never had the early morning paper, that sucked dick. Yeah, You got to deliver those like at 7 and shit. I
0: did, I did that in college. I had oh, to do no, a thrifty no. nickel. And I, I had to get up like 4 in the morning, go and get the papers. And I had to drop them off at all the state capitol buildings in Tallahassee. And it was, dude, I, all I remember is that it was fucking, it was cold in the morning and then blistering hot by like fucking 8 when you were done. And you'd be sweating, but you still had all these fucking clothes on. F- I want to say I got 40 bucks for like 3 hours work. And I was like, fuck, that's Thursdays. So every Thursday morning. Sean Simmons gave me the route. And I fucking Sean Simmons gave me the route, but the first two ones I had to pay him because I was doing his route. Right. And I was like, okay, here's 20, 15 bucks for you. I keep thirty or five or whatever it was. But yeah. Do you think that do you think that the do you think that the part of you that was looking at the world is like, let's go in there, let's rob this guy, let's go break into that van. Do you think that is parlays into how hard you work now? Because you your podcast is,
1: what, twice a week? It's hysterical. I was talking to somebody this morning, and they go, you know, I've been trying to get a hold of you. I said, yeah, we've been playing phone tag, me and this guy. And I go, i got to tell you something, because he's from Long Island, this guy. I go, i got to yeah. tell you something. I'm working harder now at 52 than what I did when I was a burglar. Like, all <laughs> I did was get up, look for drug dealers, then you break into the house and take <laughs> yeah, that Coke. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This is hard work, what we do now. And once you get... You know, when, listen, man, when you... I was 29 or 30 before I realized the hardcore truth of the world. That there's college, there's high school, all that shit's great. But the real world is the real world. And you know what? You keep telling people no about work. Because I would get jobs and go, so Bert, how long does it take me to get your job? Four years. And I'd leave there going, four fucking years. Four years. (laughs) Four years is an eternity, you know. (laughs) Four fucking years. But you... And then one day you come to the realization that, hey, I'm going to have to do it. I got to pick something that I could get up every morning and fucking do. Yeah. And for me, it was comedy. I was telling the people on the podcast, yeah, I was telling Lee how I watched the 7-5. Have you watched the 7-5, the documentary of the Dirty Cops in New York? Oh. To the rest of the nation, that documentary is very shocking. You know, to a guy like me, I grew up with dirty cops. For me to listen to hear about a dirty cop was like, it was just the extent of the things they did. These guys were crazy. But while this guy Mike Dowd, was talking about breaking into a drug dealer's house one day, and he there was two guns and there was cash, and the other cop took the two guns and he goes, "Fuck the two guns," you know. When he was describing it, 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 that's what I wanted to do. I had no ambition at eighteen and nineteen. When people are twenty and nineteen, they'll tell you they want to be a fireman. Or my ambition was not to work and to have money. However that happened, I didn't give a fuck. Work was below me. And I wanted to sit at home, have dough, and be able at 4 o'clock to go, you know what, I'm going to move for a steak. I actually thought at the age of 25 that I was going to accomplish that from just being a criminal. Like, that was my goal. Like, really? that was really my goal. I had no goals at all. Those years I was in the fucking around, my goal was to figure out how I could get a couple kilos of coke and go big time with this shit and never have to fucking work ever. Like, just sit on my couch, watch TV and go out at night and get a steak, maybe leave the house to go to the gym.
0: And there maybe. was no, like, going to clubs? You weren't going to clubs at this time? No, I was never a bar
1: guy. I'm not a bar guy at all. You yeah, you're not. Not at all. It,
0: still, I always think that about you. Like, sometimes I'll think, like, if I'm at an airport and I'm having a drink in the morning, and I'll think, God, it's so funny. You don't drink. You don't drink. You could, if they said you can never drink again, you'd be like, oh, fine, that's good.
1: But I crave it. Like, I crave it from time. Like, I had a a Doors and ginger ale on a plane a couple weeks ago at 8 in the morning. Yeah? It was fucking delicious. Just nutritious. Delicious. It was like a yoo-hoo, you know? Yeah. I realized how much I missed drinking. Listen, I was crazy. I'm still kind of crazy, but not like that. But I used to be crazy like I, I i didn't mind getting up and snoring coke or drinking that's that side was of you i game. don't i
0: can't i have a hard time like i i want to say i talked to maybe it was Stanhope, but it was it was like uh i never i see the only side i see of you is the responsible caring nurturing side like i only know you as when we f- first started hanging out a lot and i was trying to lose weight, and I was going through some shit with that guy, and I would talk to you every morning, we'd have coffee. I only know that guy. I only know that side. And I only know the guy that gets up every fucking morning, does his periscope, no. does his podcast twice a week, does sets. You're the one that's like, dude, dog, we gotta go do the fucking ha-ha. we 'll going meet you out of That fashion. was always there. Yeah,
1: it was. That always existed. And then you just also had that this. That always existed. I just had this secret battle. Really? That started at night. You know, that started at night. We- <laughs> This thing started when I was a sophomore in high school. I grew up in it. Remember, I grew up in it. I grew up in it, in a house that did it. It was yeah. around at the bar. They were deep in it in the 70s when other people were talking about cocaine on the streets. Kids, I already knew. I just couldn't say nothing because they go, how the fuck do you know? Oh, my mother was talking about it on the phone last week. <laughs> you know, I couldn't say that. Yeah. My house is a very meat oye caia. What happens in this house? You don't repeat outside. So I was always raised insecure as it was because I was an immigrant. It's bad enough I'm an immigrant. It's bad enough I'm Spanish. And now what my parents do, I mean, your parents do it completely different. Yeah. You know, I would watch the Waltons and go, I want to dump these motherfuckers for the Waltons. I'd watch a TV show and go, why can't I have a family like that? They're normal. They pray. They eat. These fucking crazy. Say goodnight to each other at the yeah, end. they say goodnight to <laughs> each other at the end. You know, that's what I yearned for. But... Uh, it, it was around me. So when I was 16, I found some. I went my, Once my mom and stepdad broke up, my mom was holding it at, in the basement hidden downstairs. And one day I went downstairs to get like a wrench. And I saw this weird thing. And I went over and I opened it. And it was fucking blow. A lot of blow. Is I this the first time much. you ever did blow? This is the first time. And I took some and I saved it. I saved it. I took it like in July. And I saved it, I saved it, I had it hidden, I had it hidden, I had it hidden. When I was about 12, I dated this girl, New Yorker. And my mom was really concerned, because every afternoon, me and this girl would shoot to my house at 3, and i just locked the door, and my mom thought I was fucking, but I really wasn't fucking, I was just in there dry humping, sucking her titties. But... At the bar there was this weird guy, his name was Tati. He was a Cuban guy. Yeah. And one day Tati caught a wind with my mom going, I can't believe him. He locks himself in. I'm gonna have to go home every day at three. I don't wanna have a grandmother and all this shit. Yeah. And Tati pulled me aside. He's like, So what are you doing with this brood? You know? And I'm like, Ah, you know, nothing. He goes, This, I gotta give you some. He goes, Next time you have a pants off, put some cocaine on the pussy. So he gave me a capsule, like a like a like a sick thing. Yeah. But he filled it with a little bit of coke. He told me put some on her pussy, watch her go crazy. I'm about 12, and I'm like, oh my God. So about three months later, my mom knocks on my door, and she's like, can I talk to you? The other night Tati was all fucked up at the bar. Did he give you coke to put on New Yorker's pussy? And I'm like, yeah, give it to me. Give it to me. Where is it? And I go, I don't have it no more. What the fuck is wrong with you? She went off on me, my mom. Really? But then years later, she had it done. Like, I always knew my mom did blow. I always knew since I was a little kid. That was yeah. their culture. Their culture, they did blow. That She hung out with musicians and Celia Cruz and she had that bar. So, you know, when I was a kid, my mom would have parties and I'd have to tell my mom, Ma, clean your nose. Like, I was like eight and I'd tell my mom, clean your fucking nose, guy. Yeah. And my mom would go, where is it? And I'd go, are you fucking crazy? Yeah. So I hated it growing up. When I started partying, I'd tell myself, you know what? I'm going to smoke dope and drink, but I'm never going to put none on my nose. Yeah. But then when I was like 13 or 14, I discovered Crystal THC. Me and these crazy motherfuckers used to go to this place across from Liebeschlem mm-hmm. Cemetery, this crazy Union City bar. Yeah. And we used to buy uh, Crystal THC, which was angel dust, really. It's just another name for Gorilla Biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> angel dust, right? Crystal THC. For three, me, you, and like Segura. Yeah. Three dollars a piece, and we'd do one line a piece, and we'd be blasted for Fucking eight hours. Really? So I got into crystal. That's what it was called, crystal THC. I got into it for a long time, and I kept saying, you know, that's the only thing I'll put in my nose. Crystal T, crystal T, crystal T. I even had a dog. I named it Crystal T. When my mom died, I had a little lab, and it was called Crystal T because it was white with yellow spots, just (laughs) like the crystal. So when I was like 16, a month before my mother died, we were supposed to play hooky. A bunch of us were going to play hooky and go to a party. And I said, This is my chance to bring the blow. Yeah. And I probably had like a gram in the bottom of a baggie that I had to put away. And I took it to the thing. We robbed the beer truck because in those days we used to wait till the beer delivered to Hashways or Safeway. And we'd sit in the weeds because there was only one delivery guy. And he would go in. And while he was talking, we'd sleep on the outside, the, the, the side of the truck that faced the street. Yeah. And we'd open up the thing, and we'd take, like, a, a case. You didn't know what you were going to take. That's the problem. It's like, oh, what do you want to drink today? Yeah. It was, it was whatever, whatever they was had. in front of you. But that day, we stole a case of quartz, Budweiser quartz, 32 ounces. They're horrible. Yeah. There's no way you could chill them. So we had to go to my friend Lubes' house and fill the tub with ice and put the things in there. Yeah. And we played quarters. You know, yeah. now the kids that we were with they were at this point they were nice kids, they smoked dope, they did a little fucking uh, you know at that time, they did mescaline, well, we had acid, that was the equivalent, yeah, it was a big thing for them. They didn't like that me and little lubes did t h c crystal, and Coke was definitely accept- unacceptable at this yeah. point, the kids that at that party. And me and Little Loubs went upstairs. We went to, we ran to the liquor store while they were downstairs drinking beer. And we got a bottle of vodka. We got a bottle of peppermint schnapps, And we took the rest of the ice. And we shaved the ice down. And we put them in these little cups. And we made those little peppermint schnapp vodka drinks. Yeah. And we sprinkled the Coke on top of it. And we put them in the freezer for like 10 minutes. And our sick little demented minds, we drank like three of those. And then we go, let's do it. And that was the first time. Me and Lubes did like a little line of coke a piece? We were sophomores, October '79. I was a sophomore in high school. That was the first time I ever did a line of coke. What did you do? You remember that first line?
0: Yeah, nothing happened. Really, nothing happened. I remember my first line of cocaine. I remember what happened. I was in New Orleans, uh, and uh, I was with my I was with one of my buddies. I won't say anyone's name, I guess, because I guess that's you can't do that. But fuck it, I'll say it. My buddy came and was like, uh, we were at his house, and he was like, he had coke and i and we said you know we'd love to i want to try it because we wanted to get ecstasy it was at this it was it's the thing i think that probably addicts go through where we were it was mardi gras we wanted ecstasy we'd always been all been eating ecstasy that year and we couldn't find any and we were like well i can't fucking enjoy myself if i don't have ecstasy how am i gonna enjoy mardi gras you know what the fuck and then my buddy came and was like we got coke if you want to try coke and he was one he's still one of my best friends in the world like i love him like a brother. And, uh, he said, uh, he said, listen, I'm, and he pulled me aside to a bathroom. He goes, just giving you a heads up, this can fuck up your life. Like, this, he's like, you know, I love you and I, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. He's like, I've done it. And some people go overboard with it. And I'm just letting you know that, you know, if, if you do something, I'm probably not going to like give you any more tonight. You can try it, but I don't want to fuck. And he was really thoughtful. And I went, I went, listen, I just want to try a little bit. And he was like, fine. So we tried a little bit, me and, uh, my buddy Mike. And, uh, I remember immediately, like, one half of my face went completely numb. Like, from this tooth all the way around, went, like, completely numb. And then I was like, I think I, might sh- I maybe should do the other nose also. <laughs> so I did the other nose, and then this side went numb. And it was, like, the greatest feeling of my life. I, I remember walking around New Orleans feeling like I had the power of Superman. And being like, I remember being on one of those cable cars, those little trolleys, thinking I could rip the fucking handrails out of the ground, like that, I was so strong that I could rip it out. That I could tear trees out of the ground, but I was smart enough to know not to, because then they'd figure it out. And then, and we just did those two lines, like one each, the little little tiny bumps. I would say I wouldn't even say lines, and uh, went to sleep, and the next day. I had the worst anxiety of my entire life. I've never had anxiety like that like, ever, and it's part of the reason I don't do. Not even part of the reason. It is entirely the reason I don't do coke. Is the next day, I was a fucking mess. Like panic attacks. Thought I could legit have a heart attack. Like I just whatever positive shit I filled my brain up with that night, I was borrowing from a, the last next couple of days and I could not get it back. And that's why I never fucked around with it too much cuz I was like I was like I had a great time the night before but the night I did it, but that payback was a bitch.
1: I, I I don't even know how I filled that gap with coke because I really at the time, I really, really enjoyed acid. Like, I, re- at the time, yeah, all I've of us. Yeah, I've heard you
0: say that, that all you of loved us, acid. All
1: of us, all of us. We were, we didn't go anywhere if we didn't go eight deep and on a hit of acid. Really? The kids I took, there's a couple kids, I, there's one kid in particular, the same kid I did uh, Coke with the first time. He's one of my best friends in life. We still talk three times a week. Really? He, he calls me to tell me what his mother cooks. You know what my mother cooked today? Let me tell you what my mother cooked today. She made these nice meatballs with a little pork in there and these stutters. Really? Yeah. (laughs) And then she made some nice pork chops with some nice mashed potatoes, how you like, on the side. Ooh, and home chocolate chip cookies. Like, he's one of those guys who'll call me three times a week. Did you do acid with with
0: him the first time? Uh, Do you remember the first time you did acid?
1: No, it was downtown. North Bergen runs from Seventh Street to Ninety First, and I basically grew up on a street off of Thirty Eighth Street. And those kids, I did acid with them the first time. I kept graduating. You did like uh, you did like mescal- like a half a blot of acid. No, I do remember the first time I did acid. I'm very Where's sorry. It? Rolling Stones, Foreigner, Philadelphia, Some Girls Tour. Yeah. I did a hit a window pane acid, and I almost lost my fucking mind. And then a couple of weeks later, I went to the quarry again, and this kid Vinnie Lynch, God rest his soul, he gave me some uh, blotter acid. And I went home. I'll never forget this. I went home and I put on Dark Side of the Moon on a track. I put it on. I turned and I turned the lights low in my room. I had a, in those days I had a one of those lights that you click three times. Yeah, I had the overhead light. Yeah, 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 and then yeah. I had the thing, so I turned the overhead light on. And I clicked it to one, and on my wall I had like a poster of Julia Serving. I had a backwards Led Zeppelin. Not a lot of people. They made a mistake. They always said these were going to be collectors' items. I never made a dollar, <laughs> but I had the McDonald's All American Basketball Team because my buddy was on it on my yeah. wall, and I'll never forget looking at it and see them, like fading out on me and yeah. waking up the next day with a piece of gum on my shoulder from the day before like i passed out doing acid did
0: you ever lose your shit doing acid
1: no i had a friend one night that put his hand through the board of education and ripped tendons and did crazy shit joe luch he lives down in florida now yeah and it freaked everybody out like i was a block away when he did it. like it was packs of four walking it was like 30 of us but in threes
0: Dude, talk about paper routes being gone that shit's gone like, kids walking around a neighborhood and, f- and fucking hanging out. And, like, I don't even... I can't imagine that my daughter's ever going to... There's no... What neighborhood in L.A. are they going to fucking all hang around... And then go walk. We used to walk around South Tampa. Just go up to the golf course. Everyone meet on the golf course. Fucking Oral Fest was one night where all these girls—I w- I would say all their fucking names right now—Allison Williams, Shay, Jenny Powers. Like they all, all sucked dick. They, no, they no. Oral, everyone just made out. Oh, <laughs> it felt tits. Oral Fest. Oral Fest. I kind of been thinking about that for a long time. But we'd go down there, and then me, Alan, Kamen, we'd all just. That was like. You'd, maybe you'd get higher, you'd find some beers, and you'd have, like, f- maybe three beers at the time was, like, a lot. And then you'd just walk. You'd walk around. You'd go to
1: people's houses, and... God, that, what that's... What grade were you in? A ninth. Yeah, from the seventh grade on, it was that type of... Uh, we'd meet, we'd get beers, and we'd smoke a little pot in the woods, and then I stopped going downtown. I started hanging. After my mother died, I I changed all my... I still lived downtown. Well, I hung uptown because the guys downtown were a little too crazy. Really? And they weren't doing nothing. They would just sit around and get high. I wanted to get high and mingle with girls and cheerleaders and talk to them. So I would go uptown and get high. And we had a walk from 38th to 76th Street. Summer, winter, fall, and I'm from the second hilliest city in the country. I'm from North Bergen, New Jersey, where you're always tackling hills. We used to cut through a cemetery. So instead of walking two and a half miles, we'd walk a mile and a half to a fucking cemetery in the middle of the night on acid, whatever. I still remember the night Freddie Prince got shot. I walked to the cemetery and took a shit in the cemetery, and it was so cold out that I pissed, and my pants froze from the pee hitting my pants. Like, that's how fucking cold it was. Like, I walked all over that fucking town (laughs) with my friends. I used to walk. That's part of the thing is getting high and walking and talking and... I remember yeah. the
0: first time I got high and I sat down somewhere. I had a panic attack because I'd never <sighs> been high sitting still, and I was like, "Oh, even to this day, and even to this day, like I couldn't be the guy that gets high and sits or did acid and sit." Mostly based on ninth grade, that we'd get high and you'd walk, and so you'd be walking and giggling and laughing and grabbing the tree branch, and water would fall over it. Like it was an active thing, and I, I like. I couldn't imagine doing acid and sitting somewhere. I'd lose my fucking mind. I'd lose my fucking mind.
1: The thing I hated the most about my childhood was I was an adult at an early age. I fucking hated that. That's part of my jade that I didn't see what most kids saw. You know, I was I was always around adults. I was an only child. You know, I was good with kids and I was popular with the kids I hung out with and stuff. But I always felt more comfortable with adults. And it's funny. The other day, I went to uh, Marie E.T. with Steve Simone. And we were just having coffee, just bullshitting. Yeah. And school must have got out. It must have been about 3.30. And some girl pulled up. I had a clocker at 16, you know. Yeah. Was she good looking? Not. She was no model. She was just a cute girl. And she came out. She goes, can I bum a smoke from either of you guys? And I'm like, nah. And she went, sat down with her coffee, went to the liquor store, got a pack of cigarettes, and came back. And she had, like, uh, shorts on and combat boots and, uh, you know, a typical girl in high school, want to look, you know. But the way she was smoking and her body language told me that she was 18 going on 35. So after 15 minutes with a 3-year-old daughter, you know me, I want to get to the heart of the matter, I call her over, Rose, come on over here. Yeah. And she goes, hi. And I go, you know... You know, uh, Felicia's boy, he, she was telling me where she went to school. Yeah. And I go, so you go to school with Felicia's boy? And she said, yeah. And, like, and I just talked to her and just picked her brain. Her parents were divorced, you know. Oh, fuck. Her dad was pissed at her because she was growing up too fast. Yeah. You know, she the dad had gotten a girlfriend. So she was living with the dad. The dad got a girlfriend. So you could see she had to grow zero to 100. Yeah. Like and she was telling me that she didn't like that school. Because uh, the kids were all spoiled rotten. They really had nothing going on. They had no futures because their parents gave them everything. She was on the ball, you know. Yeah. Her dad was a famous musician. Yeah. He, she told me his name. I even said to her, would I know who your dad is? And i like a shy way, She said, yeah, he's 61. He's clean and sober now. But he was big time, you know. Oh. He lives in Calabasas. The mother lives around the corner. She runs a, uh, a uh, what do you call that, a you're a volunteer, volunteer at the school program. She was a really sharp kid. You know, I asked if she got high. She told me, yeah, she smoked pot. You automatically identified because you had that childhood, too. I knew. I just know. I want to know what happened. You know, and and she told me and Steve Simone. And uh, it just, that's what I hated. That, you know, at 15, I was going into the city to the movies where my friends were just playing tag football. You know, half the neighborhood were trying to be adults and the other half. And you're right. There's no more kids in the streets. When I went home, I took my daughter to my original park. Do you understand me? I took her to the original 38th Street. One of the funniest things in my life happened at 38th Street Park. There used to be a little hut in the middle, and a guy would sit in there, and his name was Mr. Kennel. In fact, Jackie, his son, just got out of prison. Jackie Kennel was his son. He had two sons, and I, I grew up to be friends with Jackie because of his father. His father was always very fair to me. Now, this was a very white, Irish neighborhood. Irish, Italian, a couple Jews, a couple Germans. Yeah. And the Spick started moving in. You know, a couple <laughs> Cubans. So I was one of the first Cubans to move in. <laughs> but my whole four or five block neighborhood had one black person. Really? And her name was Marlo. And Marlo didn't help her cause. Not only was she black, but she was five foot two, 300 pounds, and like the sixth grade, with just a huge afro. Yeah. And she was dark as the night. I liked Marlo. Yeah. I spoke to Marlo all the time. Marlo was had a white big fat mother with like a black father who had gone away and they lived like in the worst building in the neighborhood. Like yeah. that was the rent control. I never had a problem with Marlo, But one of my first experiences in that park, thirty eighth Street Park, it's the summertime and he's sitting in his park booth with a little fan on, with a little window. No, the window's closed. Yeah. And he's just looking at the kids. And all of a sudden, there's a bunch of kids chasing each other, spitting at each other. I'm in the park, like in the corner, like doing something with like Jimmy Balzano, like whatever the fuck we were doing. And he looks up and he sees Marlo spitting back at the white kids. And he opens the sliding door and he goes, Hey! Don't let that nigga spit hit you. It'll go right through you. This is what this guy said in 1975, and he closed the window. And I'm I went into shock, like I had never heard the word nigga used that way. I yeah. grown up with black people in New York. I had never heard of it used like that. <laughs> nigga spit will go right through you. Well, that was the park. I took my daughter back to that park, dead, uh, December 8th. You know, and I made a play, and I just stood there, and I absorbed my neighborhood. I just absorbed my neighborhood. And right across the street from that park was Carmine Balzano's house. And Carmine Balzano was the local cop who ran the fucking neighborhood with mob ties. Yeah, and I, shot think a you, guy. I think I've heard you talk he about this guy. shot a guy in the house, the whole yeah. fucking thing. And I'm looking at the house, and I remember when we were cleaning out that attic, we found money. Whoever had this house before had so much money, they used ins- money as insulation. And here's me, Anthony, Frankie, and Jimmy ripping dollar bills and fives out of the walls that were stapled into the fucking walls. Old dollars that were all ripped. The humidity had gone through them. They were dry. You never felt. I'm looking at all the fun I had in that house. How We used to go there in the summers, and they had a slicer with ham on it. And any time, I would just walk into this Italian people's houses and go, Ma, what's up? And I'd get on the slicer and cut the ham. Not that fucking bozo ham either. She'd make a real fantastic... thanksgiving ham and have it. they always so had it's not
0: it. like a bought like honey baked ham she no
1: made no no thing? no 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 and to boot she used to make cream of chicken soup with rice in it and you take the pieces of ham off the i mean she used to make cream puffs one time i was in their pool and my mother told me to make the fucking bed and i didn't make the bed my mom goes make your bed so i have company coming on i don't want them to go to the bathroom and see your fucking room and i go ma I'm not making my, but I was about 15. I was already feeling my oats. And I'm in the pool with the Balzanos and a bunch of other neighborhood kids. What? There's some bitches in the pool. We got goggles. We're looking at their pussy. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing, Jose Antonio. That's what my mother called me. That's my real name, Jose Antonio. And she's like, Jose Antonio. And I'm hearing this, but I'm like, that bitch is down the corner. She don't have the balls to come over here dog. Within two minutes, I saw her going, Jose Antonio, la piscina? and I'm like, Ma, I didn't even say nothing. They're like, who is that? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> That's a crazy Spanish woman. All of a sudden, I hear it. my mom, crazy Spanish woman, huh? And all of a sudden, I see her fucking foot hitting the fence. Like, she's picking herself up over yeah. the fucking fence. Like, she's climbing in. And I'm like, uh, and all of a sudden, she popped her head over, and I just jumped out of the pool and ran home. And she went around the other side <laughs> and hit me the whole way home with a He mandolin. I told you to make the bed. Yeah. Like, so many things had happened in this house. And then when she died, they were the top runner to get me. I was the number one draft choice in the neighborhood. <laughs> I was trying to hold out to who was going to adopt me. I, I wanted to go to a place that I had my own bedroom and my fucking own uh Air conditioner, because that's how I was raised. Yeah, I was an only child, so I had my own bedroom, I had my own air conditioner. Yeah, I had to hold my own cable TV. I had no time for this fucking sharing rooms with <laughs> brothers and shit. <laughs> so it was between the Balzanos, <laughs> the Garcias, and the Benders. But the Benders had no curfew. That lured me to the. I didn't. You know what? I could share a room as long as had air, but no curfew. You you got my ear. You got me. <laughs> no curfew. No you curfew. Got me. <laughs> And I had known the Benders for years. They always had food in the refrigerator. Me and Mr. Bender were tight. I love Mr. Bender till today. I always feel like I call Bobby every 90 days and I go, I let your father down, man. That's how much I love Mr. Bender. Really? Mr. Bender was a good fucking dude. He took me in. But Carmine was my neighborhood chief. The reason why I'm still here talking to you is because Carmine, everybody knew that you could fuck with me. Yeah. But if you fuck with him, no. That that guy's coming. Yeah. If you, you would have fucked me up really bad as a child, Carmine was going to raise his hand just on impulse. So a lot of people said, just leave him alone. Why fuck around with this guy? Then Carmine shot a guy in his house seven times in self-defense. When we were kids, when we were like 12, we went to Carmine's after one day we were walking home from school. And Anthony goes, you hungry? Let's go to the house. And when we got to the close to the house... There were cop cars around the house and shit. The feds had gone into the house because... And they found the machine gun that Patty Hearst had. That's how tight in Carmine was. Really? Carmine was tied in. So I'm sitting here with my daughter, with my wife, at this fucking park, looking at this house, thinking about all this shit. You know, Anthony was dead. They had four boys, and the kid that was my age died. And I, really? In the eighth grade in a car accident. So I had lived in this house. This, I'm looking at this fucking house. And all of a sudden at this park, it's 11 in the morning. And me and my wife are talking to go in and eat lunch. And there's a guy playing with his daughter. And I'm sitting there an hour and I don't see no kids. There's no school. And as the guy's walking past me, I go, hey, man, do kids ever come to this park? And he goes, no, te entiendo. I don't speak English. He goes, I'm Cuban. I've just been here eight days. So I started talking Spanish to him. I go, so you've been here eight days? I go, where do you live? He pointed to the Balzano house. How fucking crazy is that? He goes, my daughter owns that house now. And she gave me the second floor. She uh, she sent for me, my uh, wife, and my youngest daughter. That's who he was at the park with, his yeah. four-year-old daughter. Holy shit. And we talked for another hour, and I go, listen, if you have any idea what happened in that fucking house.
0: Yeah, if, if those walls could fucking talk.
1: If those walls could fucking talk in there. That was a crazy house when I was growing up, man. That's fucking insane. You know what? It just dawned
0: on me in the middle of you telling that story. I was like, I only have pictures of me at like 16, 18, 20, 23, 25, because my mom would hold on to them. And I was like, like, oh, I'd love to see a picture of Joey at 22. I'd love to see a picture of Joey at 18. But in order for you to do that, you had to grab those pictures, because no one was just,
1: no one was saving a scrapbook for you. No. No, and I didn't like taking pictures. Really? Yeah, I don't like taking pictures. I never really dug it. But this is something my niece sent me. Come on, you fuck. That's me at 18.
0: God damn it, you look like Ty Rodriguez. My buddy Ty Rodriguez. That's me. Fucking look just
1: like him. That's my brother Mike Ronnie. He, uh, after I left the Benders, he told me, "Come live with us." Yeah. And me and him rented the downstairs of his mother's house, and that's a complete different fucking bag of worms right there. Holy shit! I was eighteen in that picture. That's the only probably picture I have of me at that age. My mom was a big picture chick. My mom took pictures of all, every birthday The picture I had. on your album, your mom, your mom. Yes. yes. Every birthday I had, my mom got the fucking picture, the, the photographer from El Diario de la Plensa. That was a Spanish paper in New York. That's how tied in my mom was. My mom would get the photographer from that thing. And on my birthday, February 19th, my mom would start, it, we would start with me walking on the street into the bar with a suit on. Yeah. My mom threw Cuban style parties. Like, tomorrow's my daughter's third birthday, and I have no idea what to do or where to start. And even if I did, I'd have eight people to invite. Yeah. My mom, for my birthday, my mom went all out. You know, she had the bar. She had the back room, and she had the kitchen. So during the week, we go, and they tailor-make two suits for me. One for the kids' party. Oh, we were spicks, Jack. We were fucking nasty spics. One for the morning and one for the night party, okay? Yeah. Tailored suits. No Walmart, no fucking nothing. Yeah. Tailored. <laughs> with the ring, the pinky ring, the, <laughs> the gold chain, the fucking ring, the bracelet with my oh. name on it. Everything. And oh. they'd take a picture of me walking in. The party would start at 3. From 3 to 6 was the kid party. Yeah. And then from 7 to 3 was the adult party. And I would have to switch costumes. Oh, fuck. And then Monday, I would go to the Harlem Globetrotters at Madison Square Garden every year, like fucking clockwork. Really? Every year on Washington's birthday, that whole weekend. Yeah. Monday. Who the fuck is sneezing? Monday and Tuesday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the guy in the fucking arm. <laughs> Jack in the Box.
1: <laughs> Monday and Tuesday, the Globetrotters would come to town. And I would go. That was my birthday present every fucking year. When Metal like Lemon died last week, I showed it to you. Really? Sure, I grew up on metal art. Yeah, now. that was your fucking childhood. That was my childhood. So that was what we did for my birthday every fucking year. Then Tuesday's the Museum of Natural History. That's my spot in New York City.
0: Did you ever have a birthday when you were like, say like, anywhere between when you stopped living with other families to the probably the point where you met Terry, where you just, where you had a birthday and no one called and said happy birthday? And
1: you were just like, uh. Well... The birthday, the the last birthday that my mom was alive, something weird happened. I hit the number. I hit the number for $10,000 when I was a a junior in high school, a sophomore in high school. Really? The day of my birthday was a fucking heavy-duty snowstorm, and we were going to go see a movie in Jersey City. That was our plans all week. We didn't give a fuck about the foot of snow. All we had to do was get up to Kennedy Boulevard. The number one bus would take us to Jersey City. And as I was leaving, people were coming over to celebrate my birthday, to drink, like, you know. Yeah. And this one bookie looked at me, goes, what do you want for your birthday? And I go, give me 219 Give me $20. $20 gets you 10000 cash. And that's financed my criminal career, my sophomore year in high school. My mother told me, put it in the bank. But I took it out and started buying quarter pounds of weed. <laughs> finance my criminal career. <laughs> yeah, that was that summer. Summer of 79 was the beginning of my criminal career. But... uh the, the the birthday after my mom died was one of the craziest. Like I was just in shock. Yeah. Like my mom died November of '79, February of '80. I didn't know how to handle that week. That was going to be forget Christmas, forget New Year's, forget. Yesterday's a big. Yesterday was a big Cuban holiday, especially in my house. Oh really? What was it? Yesterday's Lo Lo Mago. When you're Cuban, that's a big holiday. The sixth, that's a Cuban Christmas. Oh really? That's cash that's on cash only that's cash and carry yeah. that's the day the three wise men got there that didn't show up with like a fucking sweater you got duped <laughs> so the same thing you get duped in the Cuban world all those things didn't matter till my birthday that year but something happened that year that that Sunday night my birthday was like on a fucking Tuesday or Wednesday. But that Sunday night, Pink Floyd, the wall came to town. And I had tickets. So that levied some of the pain. I went to opening night, Pink Floyd, the wall at the Nassau Coliseum. Oh, on Like February 16th, 1980. But that Monday, my friends got together. and like, dog, let's have a party. So we actually went to my house. We broke into my I had the key still. Yeah. And we went up to the attic. And they got me, they got me like an aluminum foil. I'll never forget it, with tampon. With a tampon in it. They were like, this is your birthday present. It was like ten of us. And we ate acid. We ate ups. Yeah. We ate we drank fucking booze. We drank a case or two of nips. I mean, we got fucked up. And there was a kid, there was a Dominican kid I grew up with, but he had an Afro. So as long as you had an Afro in those days, they just called him Louis the nigger. That was his name. <laughs> I've heard of that guy, I've heard you talk I, about that guy. I love Louis. Louis Hernandez, I loved him with all my heart growing up. But, you know, the town we were in, they called him Louie the Nigger. This is how good that party was. I still remember falling down the, the steps. It was like we st- we got there at 3. And at 7, we had drank, you know, the Nips, the Jack Daniels, the fucking weird. In those days, we'd buy a half ounce, and we'd roll 29 joints, and we wouldn't leave. Nobody left that last joint was smoked. Oh, wow. Like all like me, you, Segura, Rogan, and Ari get here, and a, and a half ounce was 25 bucks. So we each chipped in $5. Yeah. We started rolling. We'd clean out the weed, and we'd start rolling. And that was our night. Like, we're not going home until we yeah. smoked dirty joints. <laughs> and sometimes we'd go, like, right, let's smoke 25 and we'd take home a joint for the morning. That's big. Yeah. But in our world, nobody took home nothing. We all yeah. smoke everything, you know? So we—I'll uh I'll never forget this: going into my bathroom and seeing the Louis the nigger puking, with his head in the toilet, and I just went over, picked up his afro, and said, "Excuse me." I took my dick out and I just peed while he was just like, <laughs> and then after I finished, I wiped the toilet and I put his head back in. Uh, the next day, we left him there. It was hard. That was, and I remember going back to the Bender's house, and just like them looking at me like I had missed dinner. Dinner was at six, and I walk in at seven. And they just fucking looked at me like they had never, I was gone. Yeah. And I went to the room and they're like, hey, happy birthday. How was your day? And I'm like, I was fucking gone. <laughs> and all of a sudden the phone rang. Somebody said, Coco, the phone for you. And I came down. And the phone in those days was against a wall on a table. You'd have but, a table for the phone. But there was a mirror. Yeah? There was a mirror. So I picked up a phone. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? And they're like, you coming out? Let's finish this party up. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be out. And I remember looking at the mirror, and all of a sudden, holy shit, I started tripping my balls off. Like, I fucking saw my face going down. Oh, shit. Purple behind me in different colors. Like, my eyeball was catching all the colors, my retina. It was fucking amazing. And I went right upstairs, and I think I did... Uh, half a Quaalude, and I fucking went to sleep. That was it. That was my birthday when I turned 17, but the worst birthday I ever had was 1985. 1985? So that was 22. I, uh, I fucking I was by myself. I was really? on the lam. Yeah? And I, uh, didn't want to do shit. What's in there? Just a the juice. <sighs> I don't know whose this is. No one's. I didn't want to do anything. I was alone. I'd been on the lam. I wasn't doing blow anymore. I'll never forget that birthday. That was the worst birthday, but the best birthday. Because I still remember going to the Enchanted Lily, one of my favorite Chinese restaurants in Fort Lee. Yeah. And they used to make uh, shredded Szechuan beef. Oh, my God. Shredded Szechuan beef. Oh, with carrots and green peppers oh, and onions. Fuck that sounds good. And that had to be one of my work. But I'm one of these dudes, man, that my birthday's just another day. Yeah. When I get invited to go to somebody's birthday party, I, I gotta get embarrassed.
0: I get I, I'm like that. I I I I, I when on my twenty sixth birthday, uh I got into stand up, like that's that is when I started doing stand up technically. My dad, I remember my dad telling me, you don't deserve a party. Take yourself to dinner and fucking write down some goals. Think about your life. I didn't have a birthday party until I was 40 years old from that day on. Because I just was like, it's not not that, not because the, I'm definitely not that, I'm like, it was definitely, I noticed it was my birthday, but I was like, you know, I I just, I want to be by myself. I want to be by myself and write my goals. And once I had kids, then you know, it's like, it's dad's birthday, and the girl, it was it meant something to the girls, to George and Isla, to do something on my birthday, but I always liked going to dinner by myself. So now, when I have my birthday, I always take, and now it's lunch, because if anything for dinner, the girls want to be there. But now I take myself to lunch by myself, and I kind of sit down, I assess the year I had, I write out goals I want to achieve for the next year, and then kind of just, I, I really miss, like my 40th and it's like, oh, we're having a big party, I was like, uh, and I, but I had lost weight, so I was like, and I, had, and it was my first time drinking. I think you were there, I think you came by. Um, but it was my first time drinking in a long time, so I was like, okay, I'll fucking have a party. But yeah,
1: I, I know what you say when you say that. So, I don't. I, I ate a pot cookie last night, about uh, eight o'clock. There had been a pot cookie in yeah. my. I had like this emergency case by the window over the books, and I looked at it the other day and There was a cookie in there. Yes, yeah. two hundred milligram cookie. I've been getting anxiety attacks. And last night, I broke the cookie, ate it in half. And by 8.30, I was giggling by myself. And by 10 o'clock, I was wiped out. My wife had gone to bed at 9.15. It was 10. I just turned the TV off and fucking went in. And at 3 o'clock, I I woke up. The first thought that came to my mind was, it's January 7th, 2016. What if? And I told my wife this. I'm walking Mercy to school. I go, what if I would have sat my wife down in January of 2006 and said, listen, here's the deal. First off, I'm going to clean my act up. I'm not going to do drugs no more. Number two, we're going to get married and we're going to have a kid. Not only a kid, but a great little healthy little crazy little girl. Yeah. Would you believe me? Like, I said this to myself in bed. I remember looking at the clock. and it was 331. And I go, why would... I just woke up to that thought like... That just happened the last 10 years. Like, I got off drugs, I got married, and I had a kid. Like, And you're not even talking about the career
0: shit. I mean, 10 years ago, I'm trying to think, 10 years ago you were probably doing doing the same in, like, movies and stuff, but your stand-up has fucking exploded beyond belief. I mean, you're the guy that, you're the guy, I mean, you've always been a guy that everyone's like, have you seen Joey, but now you're the guy that, like, everyone's story is, Oh, dude! Did you see him last night? Did you see what Joey's working on? Like, I mean, you're—that's next level.
1: That's like a cover of a magazine for me. Like, like stand up and shit. Yeah, I'm just talking about. I remember doing my last line at four in the morning. I, I had just jerked up six times. I just smoked two and a half packs of Camel Lights. I just went and. I got a check from SAG for $82. I just spent 60 of it. And I went back to the ATM, and I took 60 out of Terry's account last night. And I'll tell her in the morning that I just needed money for the morning when she calls me from work and notices the $60 is gone. You know? Yeah. And I would sit there and go, when is this going to end? Like, when is this fucking nightmare going to end? How much longer am I going to keep doing two grams of Coke every night? Two grams a lot. Six nights a week. Seven nights a week. What's the eight balls? Two and a half grams? Three grams? Three and a half grams. Three and a half know, grams. Like I, that, I was at that point in my life. Like after I did the longest yard, and the longest yard was released, and six months after that, I didn't really get any calls. I went into a dark fucking place. That was it for me. Really? That was it. That was my shot. That was it. I just did a movie with Adam Sandler. It was number two. Fifty-eight million the first fucking weekend. What else do you want? Yeah. If nobody called me from that. It's over. This this was just a lie. This was just bullshit. Everything they told me on the set. You know, when I was shooting, that's why I hate sets. I hate those people who work on sets. I tell you, that was great. You ever work on a movie and, and they do the same take eight times and everybody laughs all eight times. I don't yeah. laugh all eight fucking times. What are you morons laughing about? Stop it. Yeah. You know, they blew smoke up my ass when I was shooting that movie. And I bought the I I bought the ticket. Or I bought the. I want I bought it because I wanted to buy it. It's yeah. like you'll go to eighteen psychics to find the one that tells you what you want to hear. And that's the one you'll keep throwing money at. Oh yeah. Or you keep do an telling. open
0: mic on sunset and everyone's like, You're the best comic. You're like, Okay, I believe that at an open mic on sunset where there's twelve
1: comedians right, hanging out in the back. Right. Sure. It was yeah. I bought it look hook, line, and sinker, and I see it happen to actors. When a, when an actor does a comedic show on television and they get through six years, they really bought into it that they're comedy's next thing, oh yeah, and without the spine that we have developing stand up, you're just saying somebody else's lines, you know, and, and you have a natural talent for timing and stuff like that, but there's also a director involved, and there's and also an a cut, and yeah. an editor involved, you know, and people get the reality when I did my work to be a comic, I was a fucking comic, you know, but let's take that all out of the way, I mean, just to think there last night and go, and I told Terry this morning we were howling, I go, Terry. I wake you up January two thousand and six and say to you, Hey, we're gonna get married and have all this shit in ten years, which we were howling. Yeah. Like how fast it happened, you know. Yeah. And I have a friend who's still getting high, who she still calls me, and I tell her from time to time, I go, Listen, man, I didn't believe all these opportunities were gonna open after I stopped getting high. Like that that was it. And yeah.
0: Do you st- attribute it to stop getting high? Oh fuck yeah. Really? What was the bottom? What was the reason? What was the, what was the, how how did you stop? Like, what was the last line you did where you're like, okay, that's it. I can tell you the last time I put chewing tobacco in my mouth, I was driving with Leanne down to our honeymoon and I was like, and Leanne, and Leanne was pregnant. I don't tell everyone that, but Leanne was pregnant and we're going for our honeymoon and I thought, I'm going to have a kid. I speak for a living. I should probably want to hold onto my tongue or some part of my mouth and I'm not enjoying this fucking done. I don't want to just look back and go, God, man, mouth cancer. I could have stopped that. And so I stopped. It was the last chew I took. and And what was the last line you did? Like, what was the one where you were like...
1: I was leading up to it. 2007, like that January, I already knew that this had to end. Like, this yeah. has to end. I had surgery on my neck. They took a fat ball out of my neck, and this had to end. This has to end. This has been... 30 years. This has been since 1979. It's 2007. Two more years, I'm going to hit 30 years. Then I saw the Ray biography. Yeah. Uh, he was 60 and got clean. What a waste. What a fucking waste. To, to, and you did great music and you got to the Music Hall of Fame and you made millions. But he'll tell you, that he missed a certain part of his life. You know, when you're addicted, you miss a certain part of your life. That was cause of it. I was seeing what he was doing to my house. Terry's a great lady. Any other wench would deserve it, not Terry. And it was a couple things. It was John Gotti had taken over the Gambinos at 45 years old. When I saw that on TV one day, I'm like, what? He took over a crime family at 45. I'm 44. I got a year to go, and I can take over a crime family. That's how I had to look at it, you know? Joey! Like that's such a great fucking that's how it was so many things. Listen, that's why rehab is such a waste of money, because so many things went into the me getting sober that, you know, there was I got a call one day from Bonehead. When I was a kid, Bonehead was my brother's, my friend's older brother. And One day he's like, hey, man, what are you doing right now? I I gave him a bump. We did like a bump. And he's like, where'd you get this shit at? I got in the city. He goes, come on. Oh, I got it from around the corner. He goes, come on, let me take it. He had a van. He was a plumber. Bonehead used to take us to McSorley's Ale House in the village. Oh, Sit God us down nice. when we were 16 and 17. We'd get three mugs of beer for $2 and a yeah. hot dog or a bowl of chili. And then he'd go, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know, what do you get? And he goes, two Manols, barbiturates, heroin, whatever you want I'd get. Yeah. I'd give him $10 and he'd give me eight volumes, And then he'd go get heroin. And he'd get tuned up, and then he'd come back to the table and sit with us. And then we'd walk and watch the square park and watch Chappelle. And watch Chappelle was 15. And watch uh, Charlie Barnett do stand-up. I just just took it up on YouTube last week on Rogan's. And Bonehead used to take me over there, and it was always an adventure. Bonehead was, I hung out with three brothers. And one brother, and he had two other brothers. One I ended up being really good friends with, but Bonehead was my heart. Bonehead was really good looking. He was just hooked on heroin. He had a crazy girlfriend. And at night, they'd do heroin. they both pass out. And I'd sleep at their house. I'd pass out, too, from do, doing blow. And I'd wake up in the morning, and she'd be naked. And I'd just stare at her pussy for, like, 20 minutes and shit. And, like, touch it. I was like a young kid. Like, she had a hot... Her name was Donna Chinsoon. She was half Irish, half Chinese. And she had a beautiful pussy. And I would sit there in the hallway and just jerk myself off. I was about, like, 17 and shit. I'd just jerk off in the mornings and leave. She was so hot, I can't believe I'm telling this story, but who gives a fuck? <laughs> but he, I hooked up with him after all those years. 2007, I got a call from Bonet. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm living in Jersey. I'm not living in Vegas no more. We moved in with my mom. When are you coming back? I want to see him. So we got to talking. I go, you still doing your thing? He goes, oh, fuck, yeah. He goes, I went down to Newark today. He goes, they got $7 bags. I go, they got $7 bags of heroin? So you know me. I go, send me a couple. He goes, give me an address. I hung up the phone, never thought about it again. Three days later, this envelope with like crayon ink comes to my house with no return address. And I know exactly what it was. I went upstairs and he sent me three little packages of heroin. This was like June of 2007. So every Monday I would do a little bump. And finally by September, I wasn't doing blow. I'm like, I got to call 60 Minutes. I'm on to something. Heroin cures cocaine addiction. This is true. This is true shit.
0: Oh, nice. Did someone find it? Where was it?
1: Very nice. What is that? Lighter, right? A lighter. Oh, very nice. Nice. I'm, Thank under you, your bed. Oh,
0: gosh, you ruined it. Keep going.
1: No. Wait, wait, Who no. Cares? So so you go, I got to call 60 Minutes. I got to call 60 Minutes and tell him I got the answer to cocaine addiction. Heroin. <laughs> if you do heroin on Monday, you won't do coke this is This is what's going on through my fucking head, man. Yeah. And I just knew. And then I started thinking about Terry. And I started thinking about me coming around that turn that morning and finding my mother. You know, I found my mother. Yeah. Let me tell you something. It's not a good sight. And there's some people who can handle it, and there's some people who become assholes, and every time you have three drinks with them, did I tell you I found my mother? Yeah. I could have saved her. Shut the fuck up, okay? I didn't want to be that guy. And Terry's a nice person, but she's a Gentile. It would have crushed her insides. Yeah. I mean, Terry would have moved on and remarried and got but. She wouldn't have really. Finding somebody on the floor ain't good. Really? Especially with white powder. I thought about Joe. I thought about my friends, how they'd have to all be embarrassed and go, fuck, you know, Joey was on blow. For the rest of my life, Joe Rogan would go, fucking Joey was a funny guy. And some asshole would say, yeah, but he was on blow. So Joe would always lose his argument, you know? Yeah. I thought about the people who fed me. I I just thought about all these people that had a stake in my life. Like, they really did. They did something for me that only I know. You know those people. that Only you know what they did. They don't bring it up, you know. But I basically thought about my wife. And I don't know. All the pieces came together. Marilyn got sick. And then my cat got sick. And I just said, if he heals, I'll never do blow again. And it just worked. But I always think, like, I always look at people and I go, don't go to rehab. This was a year or two of me thinking and making notes yeah. and really feeling because that's what you have to become you have to become empathetic and think about Bert. you know you know who's not going to handle any of us dying I told Joe this once I go you know who's going to suffer the most when Joey Diaz dies you know who you're not going to be able to talk to Red Band Red Band loses a cat and he can't talk to somebody for a month and a half Yeah, never mind somebody who tells him I love you I thought about people like Red Band Yeah. People that would go, fuck, I love Joey. I I didn't know about the drugs. Yeah. I just, that was basically it. That's, That's, yeah.
0: That's interesting. And then did you, so it was like uh, two years of you going, like fiddling with it and trying to figure out sobriety. And then you just one day were
1: like, I haven't done it in a fucking while. I got a movie. And the people told me, listen, we know your reputation. You got this movie. But we want you to take 24 hours. If you think there's going to be a distinct possibility that you're going to want to have to lose your mind, give us the respect and don't take the movie. We'll find somebody else. What movie was it? It's called Boilermaker. It was a $100 a day movie. I just liked the script. I thought they would do more with the script, and they didn't. It was a $200,000 budget. Yeah. But it didn't matter. It was just that I woke up the next day and I said, "Look at once the fucking industry knows... Yeah. yeah, you're a fucking fiend, Yeah, that's it. People are always going to ask you that question. I don't want people asking me that fucking question. That's another way of just asking me, can I trust you? Yeah. So I took the movie, and it was such a hard day. It was 12 hours a day, six days a week for three weeks in a row because they had a little budget, and everybody was in the shot. So if you didn't make it to work, they couldn't shoot that day. Oh, fuck, yeah. It was about an AA meeting that went sour. So 90% of the time, everybody was in the shot. If you weren't in the shot, they couldn't shoot. So I took that movie, and every night I would just go to bed by 8. I would come home, smoke dope, and go to bed by 8 before the feeling took over. And after three weeks, one day I realized, shit, I haven't done blow for three weeks. Why do it? Yeah. Why go do it? And that was it. That was it. When did you start working at the comedy store? 97
0: you went in 97? That's when, I, that's when I got out of college. That's when you started working at the comedy
1: store. Did you have to pass in front of Mitzi and everything? I walked into the comedy store since, since I started. People always come up to me and go, hey, man, has Mitzi Shaw seen you yet? Like, people would always say that to me. Has Sherrippa seen you yet? And I moved to L.A., and the first place I walked into was a store on a Monday night. And, like, I walked in there January 29th, and by February 19th, I was a regular at the store. Really? I got a showcase a week and a half later. I showcased on a Sunday. She told me to come back the next Sunday. Do ten. I did ten. And that bitch made me a regular. Really? I'm a real deal comedy store guy. Like that's that's my club. Like that. That's my club. Like that. The improv. I love the improvs. Yeah. I love Jamie at the Laugh Factory. But where I fit in is the comedy store where my style fits in and blossomed and grew was at the comedy store did
0: you th- do you think the comedy store changed the way you did
1: stand up from fuck yeah really? every thought process I had changed at the comedy store really yeah because I had a pal follow Dom Herrera for a year And in between that, she would always make me follow Dom in the main room. Once Mitzi finds a weakness, she attacks it until you strengthen that weakness. Oh, really? So she used to give me midnight spots. You know who was on 1145? Paul Mooney. Oh, fuck. So Paul Mooney would do 45 minutes to an hour, and I'd have to go up there. By 12 o'clock, the show started at 9. They've already seen everybody. They've heard every joke about the news. Paul Mooney's been up with a bottle of champagne. Yeah. So now I got to go up there and I l- learn how to improvise for what was going on at the room at 1230. Really? That's what you have to do.
0: I said, I, I told you I was there last night. I was I was most impressed with Brody Stevens at midnight. Like me, Dalia, Rogan, Red Band. Uh, fucking, I think Eliza, Kate, uh, everyone's gone on stage. Everyone's had like the easier sets of the night before midnight. And then fucking Brody goes up after everyone. He put it on Instagram or he put it on Periscope. It's an hour video and Brody fucking destroys. And I went, man, that,
1: that stayed for an hour? hour. He did.
0: He, I don't think the video, the Periscope's over an hour. I think he did like 30 minutes on the, in the main room. Sold-out crowd, but they had seen everyone. Rogan got a standing ovation. And I was like, motherfucker. So Brody followed Rogan. Brody.
1: Destroyed. Yeah, that's what he it fucking takes. worked his way. He worked it, worked it little, it. little steps, little, little moves, step. little moves. That's what the store teaches you. Yeah, Brody's an animal. He's he he goes to those midnight spots every night. I don't have the stomach for it no more. Yeah, and I don't have the. I'm too old to go up there. But we talked about it. Me
0: and you talked about it the other day. A little bit about the difference between doing. Smaller rooms in the valley versus going over the hill. It's and you're right, man. I thought about you all night last night because I was like, all right, I'm going up. It's a sold out room. It's a store. It's a store. I don't really work here. Like I don't not like a paid regular or anything. It's not like I get to fuck around. Like I don't have that opportunity. I got to fucking. I got to bring some a game. I can try to challenge myself and do other stuff. And I will fuck around because that's part of my style. But when it comes down to it. I can't take big fucking swings and miss because then I look like I don't belong there, you know? Brody if he fails, he still belongs there. He's going to belong there for the to the day he dies. You if you go and fucking take a chance, you still belong there. You can call up next week. Oh yeah, sure. I've seen Joey murder 700 times if if he fails a couple times, but I literally was like, "Fuck, man. I almost called uh Jack Jr. over at the Haha after I got done like, "Hey, I'm going to stop by because I man, when we did that one night at the Haha, I fucking go remember. by there tonight. Was it? Oh no, Thursday? it's Thursday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up
1: there tonight. Tell him you want to go up. That
0: just the camera just died. Um, we should probably wrap up. My battery's dying here. Okay, let's what, do we- uh, this, has been, This is the thing I fucking love about you, Joey. I know you so very well, and there's so much to you that I like. I don't listen to a lot of people. I'm my not- I am notorious. People listen to this podcast. Go. You are a horrible fucking listener, Bert. But man, I could listen to you fucking talk. Oh, we for have a good hours. time.
1: You want an edible before you go? No, 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 Joey. You don't want a star for Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> Let me give you a star. You were a good interview. Hey, we'll you. do,
0: uh, I'm, I'm back. I'm back on, I go on the road, but I'm back. We'll do like Tuesday night. We'll come over here late night. Whatever you want. I love that.
1: I love this shit. Yeah, we'll continue this. Um, Thank you for having me. Dude, I
0: love you, Joe. Savage
1: Dad Tour starts January 28th in Charlotte at the Comedy Zone. See you there, cocksuckers. Is that
0: where you're going to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. All right. And everyone, Listen, you I don't need to tell you this, but church of what's happening now. Him and Lee Syatt. All right, poos. This episode was brought to you by the machine.